0: So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy.
1: Hello and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to start the um, second part of point number two in our worksheet, and that is a, uh, an exploration of a number of scriptures, principally out of the Old Testament, but also uh, a few in the New Testament, dealing with the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And this is a a terrible event, a a terrible period of time. And I want to say right up front, uh, for those of you that may be joining us uh, for the first time, this is a day that does not apply to the church. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is not a day that you have to be worried about or to be fearful of. Of course, as a Christian, we shouldn't fear anyway, because this is a day that's going to... um, One of the highlights, I shouldn't say highlights, but one of the key points about this uh, phrase, the day of the Lord, is judgment. And that is something that, uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we do not have to look forward to. We do not have a day of judgment followed by punishment. Yes, the church has a day that you can call judgment. It's the judgment seat of Christ. But as we uh, finished up our last uh, program we talked about Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, which is describing the judgment seat of Christ, or what we call the Bema seat. And in that period of time, there is going to be no reference to sin. It's all going to be about the fulfillment of the salvation of the Christian. And I say the fulfillment of salvation. You say, well, I was saved, you know, 60 years ago or two years ago, or whatever the case may be, that is correct. But remember, you were not totally saved. You were guaranteed your salvation by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as we're told in the scriptures. But you were um, justified the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit came into your life to be with you, the believer, forever. At that point, you were guaranteed salvation. It was not fulfilled at that moment, but you were guaranteed, as Ephesians tells us. He was a deposit. He was a, a um, guarantee, the guarantor of your salvation. Then the next phase is the phase that you're in now if you're a saved Christian called sanctification. And you are being saved. You are becoming more and more Christ-like the more you strive to be about the Lord's work, the more you strive to be about understanding who God is, what his will is for your life, um, the role of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, all of those things that you um, participate in uh, to one degree or another, and that's what we'll be rewarded for at the Bema seat, um, is all part of the sanctification process. But then there's going to be a point in time where you have been growing spiritually in your salvation, but you are still in your physical body. There's a point in time called glorification. That is the rapture of the church and the beam of seat judgment, where we will be in our glorified bodies, and we will stand before Jesus Christ as our husband, as the head of the church, um, to be judged by him. And that is when we will be fully saved. We will. Our salvation will be fully realized because then and only then will you be um, saved spiritually as well as physically, because you will then be in a pure, sinless, glorified body. So you will be totally saved at that point. So I want to emphasize, I don't want you to uh, misunderstand me here. You are spiritually saved as a Christian right now. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are spiritually saved, and that's the important thing, because the body is something that will go away, but you will receive a perfect glorified body and be fully saved at the Bema Seat Judgment. So that's our great hope. That's our, actually the Greek, when you interpret it in English, is confident expectation so that sounds more positive, more f- fulfilling than just the the term hope that we have come to understand in the Western world as I hope for a present Christmas. Well, this is not, not the same thing. It is a guarantee that it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. So that's uh, that's the wonderful aspect. And that's what happens on the day of Christ, which we just wrapped up in our last program, a, a review of the scriptures, as you see on our worksheet, that you can download from the website at this radio station. And now we're moving over into the day of the Lord and the first place we want to look. And I want to I want to prepare you up front for this because this is not going to be happy times. Uh, this, as you see as we get into, we'll start right out here in Isaiah chapter 2. You're going to see that this is a time that is necessary. It was prophesied, but it's a time that Israel has told, must happen to them. Nowhere do you see the church anywhere in here. Nowhere in here does our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, have any desire, in. A, if you look through the scripture, has any desire of putting his bride, his wife to be through anything that we're going to be reading here over the next several programs because there's a number of scriptures here and they are multiple verses as we go through because you need to see the the import, the depth of the concept of the context here as we go through these descriptions of this day of the Lord because it's it's called a great and terrible day of the Lord. This is a time when God God is going to send his son back with the church and with his angels as we're told in the scriptures, he will come back to this earth, and he will execute judgment on the earth, so it's going to be a um, particularly well. It, the Bible tells us there will be a it, it's a time where there's never been anything like it before, and there will never be anything like it again. And the Jews, the Jews who study the scriptures, and they only have to study the Old Testament to really understand this, but it, you see it in the New Testament as well that. This is a judgment they know is coming. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, as we read in Jeremiah. So they know that this has to happen before Christ sets up his kingdom. So it's a set of events they know is coming. And and as bad as it is, they still remain hard-headed as Israelites. But just please understand, as a listener, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that this set of scriptures called the uh, that describe the day of the Lord has nothing to do with the church, has nothing to do with the church. So let's go to um, Isaiah chapter 2, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament there, big book, 66 chapters long, and this is the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, and I want us to read verses 12 to 21, 12 to 21. So I pray that you have your Bible with you so you can see this in your Bible for yourself because it's so important that as a, as a Christian that's growing in their knowledge of, uh, of the Word of God that they do not develop the habit of saying, well, my pastor said this or my Sunday school teacher said this. We want to get in the habit of saying, God said this and let me show you. God said this, and let me show you. So God is telling us in Isaiah chapter 2 some, some things about the day of the Lord, starting in verse 12. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased." And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft. The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols will completely vanish. Men will go into caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground before the the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. When he arises to make the earth tremble in that day, men will cast away to the moles and to the bats, their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. When he arises to make the earth tremble. So I pray that you can see just from a simple reading of this passage in Isaiah chapter 2, the event that's being described here is a terrible time. It's a time when men are going to tremble. It's a time when men are going to realize that, hey, these idols that I have made for myself, that I get down on my knees, as it were, and I worship these idols that I have made They've gone from worshiping the creator to worshiping the created, as we read as we read in Romans chapter 1. And this is the downfall of man, and this is what is happening uh, to an extent. Some of this you can apply to today, yes, but what is being described here is the period of the tribulation, and that's how bad it's going to be during those seven years, and particularly the second half of those seven years, when Israel uh, realizes that they have lifted up the Antichrist, believing that he is their Christ, and they've allowed him to go into their temple in Jerusalem, which they have rebuilt. And in that temple, he has declared himself God. And at that point, the protection that we have been talking about, that is given to Israel in the first three and a half through a treaty. That treaty is described most uh, notably in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 9, verse 26, I believe it is, where he talks about the seven-year treaty or covenant with Israel that he breaks at the midpoint. And at that midpoint, at the um, middle of that seven-year tribulation, is when the really great tribulation, the real wrath of God is going to come against Israel. And it's that wrath in the second half that's going to drive Israel to its knees, and a portion of them will recognize the Messiah as their Lord and Savior. And it's those Jews at the end of the tribulation on the day of the Lord when they're judged that uh, those righteous Jews who will make up the um, nation of Israel that will go into the thousand year millennial kingdom and they will be the preeminent people group on the earth. The Bible tells us that more than one place, they will be the preeminent people group on the earth during the thousand year millennial kingdom of Christ, uh, a kingdom in which we will be here on the earth and our glorified bodies ruling and reigning with him. So I am so looking forward to that period of time. But we're talking about that period of time, albeit a very short time, just a few years, during the tribulation. Again, the church is not there during the tribulation. When God is going to bring judgment and he goes to great lengths, God goes to great lengths through the Holy Spirit leading these authors, and in this case Isaiah, to describe this terrible time. And, you know, like any good father, he's warning his people. In this case, he's warning his wife, don't do these things. Don't turn to me. Don't turn away from me. Turn back to me. Repent of your sins and come back so that you can enjoy what would be the day of Christ as a member of the church. But no, they're refusing. They're partially blinded, as we're told in the 11th chapter of of, uh, Romans. They're partially blinded to this truth So therefore, they're going to go through this tribulation and experience the great and terrible day of the Lord that we just uh, read about here in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah is full of these admonitions uh, for Israel and basically for the earth, but principally for Israel uh, as those uh, people who were alive during the seven-year tribulation yet to come Uh, are admonished to turn from God. So let's go to another one. You see this on your worksheet, and this is in Isaiah chapter 13. So just turn to the right a few pages. You're already in Isaiah at chapter 2. And, you know, we're skipping over a lot of information here. The whole book of Isaiah is absolutely amazing. The first half talks about the punishment of Israel, and the second half talks about the redemption of Israel. It's kind of like the Bible, isn't it? It's 66 chapters, the Bible's 66 books. And thematically, Isaiah is laid out just like the Bible. It's just amazing. It's like a mini Bible, if you will. But we go to Isaiah chapter 13, and we want to start at verse 6. And we want to go from verse 6 through verse 13. Isaiah chapter 13, starting at verse 6. Wail. For the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment their faces aflame. Verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble And the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. I mean, you just, it gives you pause just to read that. And when you finish reading just those few verses, and you could go on, um, but in context, we are reading about this great and terrible yet future event that is there primarily for Israel. Israel was told, it was prophesied, that they would have to experience it. But it was necessary to cleanse them, to purify them, so that those who are purified, and um, Zechariah chapter 13 says, only one-third, one-third of the Jews that are living on the earth at the time of the end of the tribulation will actually be purified. The other two-thirds will be cast into hell. One-third will be purified at the end of this terrible trial by uh, horrible punishment. Uh, But it's something that God has prophesied. Isaiah wrote 600 and something years before Christ. So for us, over 2,600 years ago, this was prophesied. So no one can say, I didn't know. So we'll continue on uh, in Isaiah and then move into Ezekiel in our next program. But uh, as we always do here at um, Exploring Bible Prophecy, we want to turn to our Q&A. And we have been looking at Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins, to show that the um, manifestation: the working of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, which um, in our teaching portion portion we've been talking about the Day of the Lord. That includes uh, the tribulation period um, here on the earth. It's a yet future event in which Israel will be severely tested, severely punished, and a portion of them will be found righteous, along with some righteous Jews, which we. Uh, Find is in Matthew 25 as well called the sheep and goat judgment. They will be judged at approximately the same time that Israel is at the end of the tribulation. But it's going to be those who maintain their righteousness during the tribulation. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit as we've been talking about over our last number of teaching portions of our programs will be the same as it was as he was in the Old Testament That you must work to maintain your righteousness. Uh, Because if you turn from your righteousness to a practice of evil and iniquity, the Holy Spirit would leave you. And if at the point the Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation to judge and finds you in a practice, a lifestyle of iniquity, you're going to hell. But if you've maintained your righteousness, You will be saved, and you will, in this case for Israel and the the, um, Gentiles, will be able to walk into the millennial kingdom. At this point in time, there is nothing like the rapture of the church. That's already taken place before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. These are just the people who were in the tribulation, and they were in the tribulation because they did not believe. If they had believed, they would have been taken in the rapture. So these are people who have suffered through the tribulation and because of the events of the tribulation and the working of the evangelists in the tribulation, the 144,000 Jews around the world, the um, mentioned in Revelation 7 and 14, the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation 11, the angel in heaven that takes the gospel of the kingdom through, throughout, throughout the whole world they will hear the gospel, and many will accept it, but only through very difficult times and, most in, in most cases, through their death. Those are who we call tribulation saints. But the point we are trying to make here in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, is this is a New Testament example of how the Holy Spirit works during the tribulation, we know it's the tribulation, and not today by the context of the Scripture, the fact that this is the Olivet Discourse, chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. He's speaking to Israel to answer their question, what is going to happen at the time of the end, and what are the signs? So he gives them the signs in the beginning, and uh, a good portion of Matthew 24, and then he goes into eight parables telling Israel that you need to maintain your righteousness, maintain your righteousness and be ready because you don't know when I'm coming to judge you at the end of the tribulation period. And of those eight parables that all are about the same theme, be ready, maintain your righteousness, number six of those eight parables is about the virgins. And the reason we know that it's about Israel at the end of the tribulation and that it has nothing to do with the uh, the church and the rapture of the church is the context. And we have gone through a number of those. And very quickly again, um, one in the context, it's Jesus talking to the Jews about the tribulation. Nowhere in here does he talk about the rapture. And we know that is in context is Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25. Um, we see that there is no reference to a bride, which would be a clear description of the church. These are maidens, and in, 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 for lack of a better term, you would call them the, um, the uh, assistants or the, um, the, uh, the maidens that assist the bride. And you see that at the end of the um, 13 verses of Matthew 25, 1 through 13, they're inviting to the wedding feast Well, there has to be a wedding before that, and there's no mention of a wedding. There's no mention of a wedding. It's a wedding feast. So these are the people that are invited to the wedding feast. You know, you go to Revelation chapter 19, and it says, Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper, the wedding feast. That's who's being talked about here. Uh, There's no mention of bride. There's no mention of the body of Christ. There's no mention of the term in Christ which is what Paul, who principally wrote about the rapture of the church and the, and the church itself, the phrase most often used is in Christ. Well, you see Matthew use it nowhere in here. No reference to the, uh, the rapture to uh, the church. There's no mention of a translation of living bodies into heaven. There's no mention of a resurrection of, of bodies that are being brought up from the grave to be um, transformed into their glorified bodies. No mention of any of that. And then, I guess one of the most important things is this is a bridegroom that is coming to the earth. We know that Jesus Christ comes to the earth at the second coming. He comes in the air and never touches the earth at the um, rapture of the church. So another clear point there. And then a point I wanted to make here towards the end, and this is where he talks about uh, to those five who did not keep their righteousness, and their righteousness is symbolized by the oil. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit is referenced as the oil, and he says, I never knew you. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. So just go back in the book of Matthew, um, oh, you know, 20 chapters or so to Matthew chapter 7. And I want, to look at a, I want you to look at another passage here that is uh, very, very applicable and parallel to what we're talking about in Matthew 25 in the parable of the, um, the virgins. And it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, those five virgins where he said, I did not know you away from me, They were trying to get into the kingdom of heaven. They were trying to get into the wedding feast, which means they would have been accepted for their righteousness. But they were unrighteous because they did not possess the Holy Spirit. Uh, Verse 21, it says, continue on, But he he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, the day that he comes to judge, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that's exactly what is portrayed there at the end of the parable of the ten virgins, where those five who had lost the Holy Spirit, they had possessed him at one time because they possessed oil but they no longer possessed the Holy Spirit. And God said, I judge you as unrighteous. I never knew you. A terrible thing. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air.
0: Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.